When I say the word government, politics, legislation, the reality is that just mentioning some of those words might conjure up unpleasant ideas with some of you, perhaps even frustration, maybe even when you think about a particular legislation, it might even make you angry. Others that we view, sometimes it just makes us laugh. I read a letter of one person that um, wrote to uh, the IRS and he found some humor in it. He said this, I quote, he said, dear IRS and to whom it may concern, you need to know that I haven't paid my taxes. And honestly, my conscience won't leave me alone. In fact, I've been able, I have been unable to sleep. Therefore, I have enclosed $150. And if I am still unable to sleep, I'll send you the rest, end quote. (laughs) Government, legislation, it raises a lot of questions. In this series, we're talking about all manner of difficult issues in our culture, areas where it seems that our culture is lost. We have talked about what is the truth about Jesus. We've talked about racial reconciliation. Today, we're going to talk about finding our way in politics. In coming weeks, we're going to talk about sexuality, technology, manhood, womanhood. We're going to address a lot of issues in this series where our culture seems to have lost its way, but we want to provide a way and we want to provide an answer. And today, as we talk about politics, I believe democracy, in my opinion, is man's best plan for human flourishing. But man's plans are just that. They're man's plans. And we As followers of Jesus, as I assume most or many of you are, our first and foremost citizenship is in heaven. We are are Christians first, and we just happen to be, most of us, citizens of the United States. So we have a dual citizenship. We're citizens of the kingdom of God, but we're also citizens of a country, most of us, the United States. And let's just be honest, at times, it seems really difficult to navigate, how do I be a faithful follower of Jesus and a good citizen? At times, there's conflict. How do we respond when there is an administration or a particular legislation that we just disagree with? How do we respond when and if the government were to ask something of me that is contrary to what God asks of me? How do we keep our allegiances to the kingdom of God, to God first, and be a good citizen? Well, the good news is you and I are not left alone to figure this out. We have God's word. And in this series, True North, we want to give you a compass because we've said every week, if you have a compass, then no matter where you land, you can find your way out or through that situation. And we have said, Jesus Christ and God's word is our compass. Our compass is magnetized to him and we follow his ways and his plan. Regardless of what's happening in our world, we find our way not only through it, but out and can be a light to others. And today, as we discuss politics, we're going to look at God's word in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. I invite you every week to either bring a Bible or have it on your phone, have it out. We're going to walk through it every week. And Romans 13 follows the first 11 chapters of Romans, and that is 
well known for being full of doctrine. Hey, this is what's true about God. And then chapters 12 and on tells us, the people of God, well, this is how you live out that truth. So it's not just enough to know what's true, think what's true, but how do you live out what's true? And that's what we'll find today as it relates to politics. So stand with me, if you would, in honor of reading God's word. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Paul tells us this, let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authorities? Do what is good and you will have its approval for it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid because it does not carry the sword for no reason for it is God's servant. There's a word again, an avenger that brings wrath to the one who does wrong. Therefore you must submit not only because of wrath, but because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes since the authorities are God's servants. There's that word again, continually attending to these tasks, pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect and honor to those you honor. Verse one, let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God. Lord, today our highest allegiance is to you. You are king over everything, our lives and our land. So Lord, help us today to know how to be faithful citizens of the kingdom of God but also also faithful citizens to the land where we live. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we enter in this today, we're gonna walk through what Paul said and we're gonna take his words as God's word, as the truth for our lives. So look back at verse one and let's begin to walk kind of in detail in what Paul is telling us here in Romans. So look back at chapter 13, verse one. Paul says this, let, what's the next word? everyone. So there's no exception. Now you you may or may not like what comes next, but Paul says, let everyone submit to the governing authorities. Look why, since there is no authority except from God, man, 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 that may lead to a lot of questions, but the good news is God gives us even some answers. And in verse one, we learn something very important about government. We may not like it, but this verse tells us an important truth. And it's this, that government is an institution instituted by God. We may have contempt. We may feel cynical. We may not like what's happening, but government is an institution that's been instituted by God. And God founded several institutions. In fact, there were three. And an institution is something God provided. It's a social structure where people work together for a common purpose to affect the lives of others. And we see three institutions. One, God instituted the family. It's an institution. And we talked all summer about how the family should work in light of God's word. God gave us the church as an institution. We have a series coming up next year where we're going to talk about 
what is the purpose and how does the church function? And in today we see that government, this is also an institution that God gave us. And God's plan for how to function in all of these institutions are found in his word. And today we're looking at the institution of government. And in verse 1 we hear God's plan that our submission to the government is in effect submission to God. And I know what you're already thinking. Well, wait, 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 wait. what about evil or corrupt governments? What about governments that enact legislation that's immoral? Well, you must already be thinking about the government that Paul served under when he wrote this letter. Nero, who was the emperor that at the time when Paul was writing, it's the person who was ruling over the land of the early church, uh, was one of the most evil characters in all of history. In fact, his name is almost synonymous with evil. You can look him up. He was accused of killing his stepbrother, his wife, his mother. He instituted the slaughter of many, 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 many Christians and presumably sat back on his hands while Rome just burnt down. And from Nero all throughout history, there's a long list of evil and maniacal rulers. The question then we have to ask ourselves is, does this verse then give us any exceptions to our submission when there's evil or corrupt leaders. Well, look back at verse one, and if you can find an exception, tell me, because I've read it a bunch, and I don't see any. God doesn't give any exceptions. Why? He tells us clearly, no government has ever existed that didn't exist, but by God's permission and by his authority, that governments are an institution instituted by God. Now, That's a tough pill to swallow, amen? So does that mean that God uh, approves of evil policies? Does God approve of corrupt leaders? Is God just okay with immoral legislation? Good night, no, read the rest of the scripture. The Bible tells us that God is infuriated by evil policies. He's angered by immoral acts and legislation and corrupt leaders. God is furious about it, but he allows it. And so if we find ourselves under unrighteous leaders, leaders whose legislation is an affront to our fellowship of Jesus, what do we do? Do we just submit? Are you saying, wait, regardless of those who are in power, I'm submitting to them? I don't want you to hear my words. My words don't bring you life. My goal every week is to point you to God's word because his word brings life regardless of the circumstances. So I want God to speak for himself. So let's just keep unpacking what Paul says because he's going to tell us more. Look, look at verse two. Paul says, so then, because there's no authority except from God, verse one, so then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. Why would Paul say that? Well, because he already said in verse one that we're in subjection to the government because there's no authority except by God. No authority exists except from God. So to resist the government, in effect, is to resist God. And I know what you're thinking. Man, does it ever get better? No, it gets worse. Keep reading. Verse three. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Well, that doesn't seem true in our land because there's evil rulers. Well, he's talking about an ideal picture, but we live in a broken world. Verse three, do, what, do you want to be unafraid of the authorities? Do what's good and you will have its favor. Now look at 
verse 4. And in verse 4, you're going to find two phrases that are repeated that are highly important to our understanding. Look at verse 4. For it is God's servant. You might want to underline that. Your translation may say minister. We preach from the CSB here. For it is God's minister for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, there's our word again, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. This word, God's servant, or as I said in your translation, minister, it's really, really important. Paul tells us twice that not only is the government established by God, but it's also his servant. And this word is really, really interesting because it's used in other places. This is actually the same word that we get out of Timothy where we get our word deacon. Diakonos, it's the same word, servant. So what Paul is saying here is that the government is to be the deacon of God, the servant of God. That's what it says. So governments knowingly or unknowingly serve the purposes of God. And God, listen to me, can get the job done even through godless or corrupt leaders because God is sovereign over all. God has the power to install and dispose of earthly kings because he's the king of kings. And God doesn't stand idly by wishing and hoping that his will comes about. And throughout history, God has used both good people and evil people to accomplish his will in the world. Just think back through biblical history. God raised up Babylon in order to discipline Israel for their sins and bring them back to repentance and life with him. Think about Pilate. And the leaders of the Jews who crucified Jesus, they were allowed to come into authority by God. Pilate, who sanctioned the execution of Jesus, only took his earthly throne because God allowed it. And and all of those serve God's purposes of Jesus dying for the sins of the world. If you remember, Jesus said, no one takes my life, I lay it down. But God accomplished the salvation of the world through what? A corrupt government. And every ruler will be accountable for his or her sins. They're ultimately under God's authority. We don't always know why God would choose to allow them to exist other than the Bible says he is good and he does good. And we must remember, my government is a gift from God. If you've ever watched the news and seen mob rule, if you've ever seen total lawlessness, then we are grateful for the governments, many of them who keep a cap, not perfectly, but keep a cap on the evil of the world and restraining evil even though imperfectly is a gift of God to us through the government. And listen, we all know governments, they can go terribly wrong. And that's because no government is absolute. They are not sovereign. They are under God's sovereignty. And God never approves of evil, but evil exists. And so you may be thinking, well, then why? Why does he permit unrighteous people to hold office? Why does he allow evil rulers to ascend an earthly throne. Why? I don't know every reason. I honestly don't. But I've spent 22 years in his word enough to know that I trust his character, and I trust his plans, and I trust his purposes. 
and I look back through the nation of Israel, and all throughout the nation of Israel, they were his people, and he wouldn't let them go, but repeatedly, 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 their hearts turned after another. And I don't know if you've ever felt it in your life, but I have, man, I'm prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. And God says, hey, if you, if you won't turn to me, I love you too much to let you continue to walk in that way. And I don't want to crush you and I don't want to punish you, but I will move you to repentance. And I will move you to your knees and I will move you to a place of humility where you say, you're my only God and I've turned to others and I've looked to other kings, but I want you as my king. And so on our election days, I not only actively vote, not only vote my conscience, what I believe God's word says to be best, but I also pray and I say, God, please, don't give us a leader that our wondering hearts deserve in this moment. Because we don't always know what we want. We certainly don't always know what we need. But God is good enough and he's sovereign and he refuses to allow his people to stray from his love and his protection. And all of his actions are to serve that end, to call people back to himself. Righteous or unrighteous governments, they serve the purpose of God advancing his mission on earth. And that's, that's part of what we're learning here. And Paul's going to tell us more here in verse 5 and 6. Look at what he says. Therefore, because they're God's servants that we just talked about, therefore you must submit. Not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. So Paul is saying, I'm going to call you to a respectful spirit to submit to the laws of the land. Verse 6, so pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes, I know you love that word. To those who you owe taxes and tolls. No, excuse me, back to 6. And for this reason, you pay taxes since the authorities are God's servants, there's our word again, continually attending to these tasks. Why do you think Paul brings up taxes again here? Well, it's often an area where a lack of submission shows up. Well, Wade, what if the taxes are exorbitant? What if they're used for ungodly purposes? What if they're used to fund evil things? Well, Go back to Nero when Paul was writing. The percentage of taxes they paid were much higher than we, and they funded all sorts of ungodly things. Just study Rome in the first century. But Paul is just saying similar things to what Jesus had already said. Do you remember what he said in Matthew 22? Give to Caesar that which is Caesar's, but give to God that which is what? God's. Let me ask you a question. What belongs to Caesar? Well, what Jesus said, he took a coin. He said, whose image is on this coin? Caesar's. Well, then give to Caesar's what's his. Well, then what belongs to God? That which bears his image. He said, your earthly coin bears the image of the ruler. Give it to him. But your life bears my image. And don't give your life to anyone else. Give it to me and me alone. You may give up earthly things, but never forget, I'm in charge of all of that, but you bear my image as a child of God and you give your life to me and me alone. Regardless of where you live, regardless of who you serve under, you belong to me. And therefore, verse seven, we do what Paul tells us. So pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe, you owe tolls. Respect to those you owe respect. 
and to honor those who you owe honor. Easy. Go do that. We'll see you next week. Amen? There have been many times in my 42 years where I've been highly offended by policies in our government. There have been times of late and throughout my life I have felt angry that things exist and are allowed to exist and have been voted and legislated for. Angry. Did you know that it's okay to feel angry? Did you know that Jesus even commands us to be angry? Did you know that? Look at your neighbor right now and say, be angry. No, say, not at me, not at me, not at me. Jesus says this, be angry. That's a command, be angry. Jesus commands, hey, be angry, but then he says, and do not sin. Be angry about it, but don't sin. Evil in our world, corrupt leaders, immoral legislation should trouble us and it should drive us to prayer and it should drive us to proactive responses. And according to God's word, we should be highly angered, but we shouldn't be sinful that God's word never gives us permission to be rebellious, disrespectful, or anarchists. And we may not have a lot of respect for a particular political leader, but we respect the office because Paul said there's no government that exists except by God. So we respect the office. And we submit to that office because by submitting to that office, we're ultimately submitting to God himself, who's the one who's sovereign over it all anyway. So can we chat for a minute? Yes or no? Okay, this this side said yes. Okay. The reality is it gets really tricky And it may be tricky in the future that even though the government is God's servant and we're called to submit in that text, there may be times where a conflict is so serious that we can't, that submission to the government and submission to God become mutually exclusive. That I'm called to do something by the government that is in direct contradiction to what God commands me to do and I can't do both. So when is it? that submission to government and submission to God is mutually exclusive? Great question. I love that you're thinking. Submission to the government and submission to God become mutually exclusive when the government, listen, requires something from you that is in direct contradiction to what God commands. When the government requires something of you that is in direct contradiction to what God commands. This is called civil disobedience. Now I know what you're thinking. Are there cases in the Bible of civil disobedience? Again, y'all got a lot of great questions today. Yes, there are. I'll give you some of them. Hebrews 1. When the Hebrew midwives were ordered by Pharaoh to kill all the newborns. Some of them said no. Moses survived. Exodus 5, 
Pharaoh refused to let the children of Egypt go. Joshua 2, Rahab, she was a prostitute living in Jericho, and she did not give up the location of the spies, but hid them and provided a way of escape, even though that was contrary to the dictates of her government. Daniel 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to bow down and worship the statue. Daniel 6, there was a law that was enacted. They said, you can only worship King Nebuchadnezzar, and anyone who doesn't cease to worship their other gods is going to be punished, but Daniel didn't hesitate and he continued to pray to God. Esther, she was asked by Mordecai to go to the king on behalf of the Jews and she said, if I do, I'll die. You gotta see, it was against the law for anyone, including the king, to go into the king's uh, presence without permission. She said, hey, I'll die. And Mordecai said, if you don't go, we're all dead anyway. So she broke the law and she went to save her people. Matthew 2 the Magi came looking for the newborn king and they were told by King Herod, hey, if you find that newborn king, tell me where he is. And the Magi didn't. In fact, they were told by God in a dream not to go back and tell him. Civil disobedience. So you may be thinking, another great question, what is it that these examples of civil disobedience have in common? Well, in every case, the people were commanded by the government to do something that would cause them to violate the commands of God. In every case, the government commanded something of them that would cause them to violate the commands of God. And hey, when this happens, we say, I obey God, not man. And in these moments as a Christian, we may not be able to obey both God and man, but even, oh, even though we can't obey God and man, submission to the government is still required. Well, wait, are you saying two different things? No, follow me. Even though we can't obey God and man in these moments, we choose God first, but we still express a submissive, submissive posture to the government. How? Well, we still are called to be submissive, so we're not anarchists, so it would go something like this. Hey, you are commanding me to do this, and you're under God's authority, whether you know it or not, but I'm under God's ultimate authority, and even though you don't know that you only hold this office because God allows it, I can't follow you and God, and I got to follow God, but whatever punishment I will receive, I'll gladly take as I choose to follow God instead of you. That's how you do it. I'm not going to follow you in this way because it makes me violate God, but I'll submit to what's ever coming because I still respect your leadership. That's what you see in Scripture. Daniel didn't rebel. The apostles didn't take up arms. They showed the utmost respect to the ruling authority by saying, I decline to follow you because it's in conflict with me following God, but I still will submit myself to whatever punishment I need to receive. And in that way, we're, we're honoring God's highest command of kingdom first, but we're also showing due respect on earth. And in every aspect that you read in the scriptures of, of civil disobedience, the people were ordered to do something by the government that was in direct contradiction to what God said. But I can't find, and maybe you can, but I can't find one example in the Bible of authorized civil disobedience when the government simply passed the law permitting evil. 
when the government just passed the law permitting evil. It's different to live in a land where the laws permit evil than living in a land where the government requires evil. Do you see the difference? So if the government passes legislation that allows in our eyes evil things, we should pray, we should be angry, but we should not sin. We should be active, we should be involved, and we should try to change it. But permitting evil is different than being required to commit evil. Civil disobedience is authorized by God when someone knocks on your door and says, you must do this as a citizen of the United States, and you say, ha ha, no way. Because I serve God's kingdom first. But if there are punishments that are due to me, I'll gladly take. I respect your authority, but I respect God's more. I'm going to follow him no matter what. Government, it's not to be resented. We shouldn't. At times we do. Nor is it ever to be worshipped because humans are flawless. Amen? Hello. But I think it's impossible for us to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ and be bad citizens. Because God has given us government as an institution and he's given us his example and his ways of how to live even in the midst of corrupt and evil days. And God has called us as a church to live even in the midst of dark days. And what's so comforting, church? Listen, look right here. We're not the first people to do this. Isn't it nice to know that the church has been here before? And all throughout history, in the midst of difficult days or corrupt administrations or evil legislation, the church has thrived and the church has flourished. And when people have tried to stomp her out, they've only seeked to, they've only purposed to then make her expand all the more. The church has been its best when the days were the darkest because people are looking for a light. They're looking for hope. They're looking for answers. And the reality is, any of us, all of us, we, we should repent of any political allegiance that's higher than kingdom allegiances. Because political parties will never be the answer that our country needs. The church is the answer that our country needs. And so our loyalty is not to a red elephant or a blue donkey. It's to a slain lamb. And you and I as his people, we've been given God's command. And it's go make disciples. Regardless of the day, regardless of what's happening, go do that. And, and that's an area right now in our day where, where civil disobedience rises up even for us. We're going in October to a place where the government says it's illegal to share the gospel. What do we do? Oh, well, I can't tell those people about Jesus. I'm sorry. No, we go. I remember the first time I went, I went to an area where it was similar to that, and I was standing in a cafe, and a local pastor came up to me, and he said, hey, you shouldn't go. I'm like, why? He said, you got a lot at stake. You're risking potentially your future, and it's difficult, and it's dark, and I don't, I don't think you should weigh that kind of risk. And I said, hey, those are the kind of risks I want to take, because if we don't go, who will go? 
And two-thirds of the world's population have still yet this day to hear about Jesus. And if we don't go, we should go. And he said, man, I just, I think you're taking a big risk. And one of the worst things that could ever happen to our church is that someone go and they they get imprisoned or or, or even die for the sake of the gospel. That could be financial obligations, legal obligations. We shouldn't risk that. And I looked him straight in the eye and I said, that's not the worst thing that could ever happen. The worst thing that could ever happen is we become so comfortable and so self-centered and so grateful for what we have that we're willing to not risk it in order to go to those who don't. And then we become comfortable. And then the legacy that we pass on to the next generation is one of navel-gazing and comfort. I don't want that. That's the worst thing that could ever happen. And I would grieve. I don't know that I would ever be whole if someone went with us and lost their life or was imprisoned. But that's not the worst thing that could ever happen. The worst thing that could ever happen is that we refuse to say kingdom first. God's way's first. God's way's best. That would be the worst thing that would ever happen. And you know what? We're going to live in a land where we might have administrations and legislations that are better than others. And there are legislations that I would love to see overturned and overruled. I would love to see different policies in our land. And we should take part and use our voice in helping those things happen. Be as active as you can in every way that you can, but never forget that the hope of America is not any political party. It's the gospel. And so so what do you do when there's evil legislation that goes against your moral compass? You pray for God to overturn it because he's sovereign over all authority. What do you do when the government requires something of you that goes against God's commands? You say, kingdom first, but I'll take what's due me here because I'm not a citizen of this place anyway. This world's not my home. And if Jesus suffered, I'll gladly do it with him. And we take the gospel to everyone because it's the only answer. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, we need you. I pray for the person in the room right now that, that needs the gospel as much as the people on the other side of the earth that we're going to. And so, God, would you in this moment call them to yourself? And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, the greatest reason we exist is for you to hear that God loves you and gave his life for you and wants you to become his son or daughter. And I pray that in this moment that you would submit to him And then as you submit to him and he makes you new, you'll learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus and will help you. But if you're not a follower of Jesus today, say something to God like, God, I am am a sinner and I am broken and I need a savior. Would you save me and save me now? And then tell us, put it on a communication card. Tell a friend that you came with. Go to next steps, but don't leave without telling somebody. And the Lord for the church at Nolansville, we want, to, we want to be a city on a hill. We want to be lights in darkness. And we want your ways and your best. And so God, at times you allow evil, corrupt leaders to rule. Things that happen, Lord, make us angry, rightfully so. They break your heart. So I pray that we as a church, we'd be angry. We wouldn't sin, but that we would use our voice, that we'd be involved in local government, and we would vote, and we would make a difference, and we would want our voice to be heard. 
But as we're making an effort for our voice to be heard, I pray, Lord, that you would, you would keep it from being politicized, agenda-based. But as our voice is heard, I pray that then your voice is heard, that we would only speak your truth and your love and your wisdom and your grace and ultimately your gospel. So God, where there are hearts here, or we'll listen to this, whose hearts are more allegiant to something other than your kingdom, God, draw us back to you. God, we just want to praise you. We want to lift you up. And we want to acknowledge, Lord, that you are our king, regardless of what earthly ruler is here. And we're going to submit to them because we submit to you, but we want to be your people who make disciples with every ounce and breath of our lives for your sake and for your glory. Amen.